0: Well, good morning. My name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here. We are going to be in Psalm 23, so you can turn there. What do you think about when you think about God? Uh, Tozer said, that's the most important thing about you. Whatever you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you. C.S. Lewis said, the picture of God that we have in our head is innately imperfect because we don't have A perfect understanding of God. We don't have the complete knowledge of who God is. And oftentimes, that image you conjure up in your head when someone asks you about God, that image can be broken and unhelpful. Some of you may picture a God as an impersonal creator that he created everything, sure, but then he doesn't involve himself. He just lets it spin. And that's good enough. Or perhaps you have an idea of God that he is not powerful enough to help. Perhaps you had a situation in your past that is painful and you saw God as someone that was not helping. And that is accentuating that picture for you. You may be thinking of a God that has this huge list of rules and will capriciously make sure that you do them or else. These are all broken pictures and untrue pictures, and they don't pull us into relationship with God. They make God as someone that is scary and uncertain, and I don't want to be close. This morning, we get a different picture of God, a different metaphor for God, and one that is very, very dear to the writers of Scripture, the writers of the Bible. It shows up again and again, and this is by far the most um, recognizable use of the metaphor. The man who writes about these lyrics has been through painful experiences, dangerous experiences, death of family, betrayal from his closest friends and family. He has been involved in deep sin, and yet the, the description of the relationship he has with God is personal and real and comforting and helpful. The Lord as a shepherd. A shepherd who provides and guides and blesses and loves. Let's read Psalm 23. Psalm 23, verse 1. A psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of So even, even as I was reading this, you guys, some of you may have been reciting it in your head. Um, this is a very familiar passage. One commentator I was reading said, this psalm is the favorite psalm of millions. Great. Don't screw this up, right? This is a bummer because people have it in their heads. They're, they may be reciting it with me as I was reading it. They know what it means. They probably have it on a picture in the, in the living room or a coffee mug or whatever it is. And it makes it a little bit more difficult to teach the passage because we just recite it in our heads. We don't, oh, I know what this one is. This is Jesus, God is a shepherd. We're good. Um, if you're like me, you're not a shepherd. Anyone? I'm not a shepherd. Um, so I have a very poor idea of what it means to be a shepherd. Um, confession, everything I know about being a shepherd I read in a book recently. Okay? Okay. Um, I I was around some sheep when I was a kid. I grew up doing 4-H, so, but I wasn't a shepherd. I, I raised pigs. And what we did during the county fair, if you were a pig person, you would go to the sheep people and you would make fun of sheep. That's what we did because pigs were smart and sheep were not pigs. So that that is the extent of my knowledge of sheep. Um, maybe you have a little bit better understanding of shepherding, maybe more so than me. Uh, but this morning, the person who has this psalm, he is a shepherd. David is a shepherd. Um, in 1 Samuel, when Samuel goes to anoint him as king and say, God has chosen you to be king, and they look for him, where was he? He was shepherding the sheep in the wilderness. His first... Um, First time protecting and fighting was with sheep. He would protect the sheep from from the bears and the predators and the wolves. That was how he got experience fighting. He is a shepherd. He understands what it means to be a shepherd um, and and this morning, as we walk through his lyrics, he's going to explain that the Lord is a shepherd. and as David Shepherd, he is a providing shepherd. He is a guiding and protecting shepherd. A blessing shepherd, and a loving shepherd. So, first, the Lord is a providing shepherd. The first three verses The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. So, right away, it says the Lord. Many of your Bibles will say the Lord here, they, and some of you will even have small capital letters. This is an English Bible's way of saying that this is a very important title. This is the Lord. The original Hebrew word behind this marker, the Lord, is Yahweh. The name God revealed to Moses. This is the personal name of the God of Israel. The creator God, the exodus God, the one that delivered the people of Israel out of Egypt. The delivering God, Yahweh. And it is a pers, it's so personal and wonderful about this passage. The cool thing is that David says, Yahweh is my shepherd. The creator God, the delivering God, the God of the promises, he is so personal with me, he is my shepherd. Yahweh is the all powerful God, but he has revealed his name to us and allows and wants us to have a close relationship with him. And David, as a shepherd, translates all the closeness and familiarity Of what it means to be a shepherd into what it means to be in relationship with God. Yahweh is my shepherd, David says. I shall not want, or literally, I will not be lacking. Sheep, as I've already referenced, are not that intelligent. Um, They have to be led or guided. They have to be taken to a place where they can be provided for. If they're not provided for, they're going to die. Yahweh is a shepherd that takes the sheep where they need to be so that they are not lacking in sustenance. How does he provide? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides besides still waters. Okay, who just pictured a beautiful green hill in the Willamette Valley? Just some wonderful green hill or a rolling Vermont or New Hampshire hill. Just rolling green hills and just sheep out there eating all day long. That's, that's usually what we picture, right, when we're reading this passage. Um, that's what I thought, but that is not how it works in Israel. There are no green hills in Israel. Um, I was in Israel just about this time last year, and part of the trip was to go into the wilderness, which is where the shepherds are. We went to the Negev, which is the south part where the, the people of Israel were wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. We also went to the Judean wilderness, which is where Jesus was tempted and during this time, we had a chance to sit and observe and read um, and just meditate on what it means to be in the wilderness. And so we, we got to a certain spot and we sat down and it was hot and it was dry and it was rocky and it was big. There was a lot of it. And I remember sitting there thinking, this is a terrible place. I really like Oregon. And I'm sitting, we were actually sitting on a ridge and there was a canyon just off of this ridge and I I was looking about 500 yards into the distance on the other side of the canyon and it was a little bit more of a gradual slope over there and I saw some sparkling and I'm looking close and there was a small, just the smallest little stream of water in this wilderness. Wow, that's, there's a stream right there, this is crazy. And then I saw this other movement to the left of the stream and there was sheep bounding and bouncing around and excited because they knew they were close to the water. And there was a shepherd leading them to the water. And we had, we had driven through the wilderness for 45 minutes to get to this particular spot. And this is the only spot of water I saw. In my mind, we're in the desert. This is a miserable place. And this shepherd brought them to the water. He knew where their water was and he brought them to where this little bit of water was and they could drink. What are they eating? If you were a little bit more attentive than me, you could have looked closely at this rocky terrain, this this hot, dry terrain, and you would have seen little bits of grass around the rocks. We're not talking green hills. Little bits of grass. And what will happen in this wilderness is that the moisture will come in the morning and the moisture will gather on a rock this is crazy. The moisture will gather on a rock and it will fall down below the rock. And there's a little bit of shade because there's a rock there. And there will be a bit of grass that will grow around that rock. Just a little bit of grass. And the shepherds know where all of these spots are, where there'll be little lines of grass on the, on the hill. And I, I had to look to notice them. And what David is saying here, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me to the place where the grass is. So this shepherd knew where that little bit of water was in this hot, dry wilderness. And he takes the sheep to these little bits of grass so that they have enough. They nibble and walk a few more feet and they nibble a little bit more and they have enough for the day. And what I want us to see here is that David's a realist. He's not saying the Lord is my shepherd. Every day of my life will be perfect because God provides for me and I will never... Have anything that I don't want? I will. I will always have everything that I want. That's not what he's saying. He's saying the shepherd takes the sheep so that they have enough. They have what they need for today. They have just the bit of water, just the bit of grass. They're fed. I just. David is a realist. I love this. I was trying to think of. An example of this, and the first thing that popped into my head was growing up and watching my parents take care of us and help us understand that God gave us enough. We didn't talk a lot about money when I was growing up, and because of that, I didn't realize how tight we were on finances, Um, If I was attentive, I could look into the kitchen and see them working with the checkbook and the bills and there would be a look of um, thought and difficulty as they're trying to figure out how, when can we pay this one, when can we figure this one out. And sometimes when it got really crazy, really tight, really difficult, a tough season, they would convene a family meeting and they'd say it's been a really difficult couple months, really hard. And if we're honest with you, we don't know how next month is going to work out. We don't know where that money is going to come from. But we're telling you this because we need you to understand that we trust that God will take care of us. And I said he's never failed us. In 25 years we've been doing this. And he has never let us down. And we're going to trust him to take care of us next month. And that confidence was never broken by the shepherd. He always gave us what we needed. We didn't have a bunch of stuff, but we had what we needed. There was food in my belly. There was a roof over our head. It it was fine. Everything was fine. The Lord is my shepherd. He takes us where the water is. He takes us where the food is. There's enough. David continues... He restores my soul. Yahweh not only gives us the material needs that we need for for sustenance, He's a restorer of the soul. Sheep are not thinking this way when they're eating grass and drinking water. This, This is David ascribing another level of provision, another level of relational closeness to Yahweh. This is literally, Yahweh, you turn my soul around. Whenever my soul is pointed in the wrong direction, you come over and you point it to the proper place. Yahweh, the shepherd, provides restoration. On a spiritual level, this would be turning us back to God. You could picture a sheep walk off into the wilderness from the shepherd to a place he should not be going, maybe towards a cliff, away from the shepherd, and the shepherd comes in and lovingly guides the sheep back to him. Because he is where provision is. He is where um, security is. David says, you turn my soul back to you. And David needed to be turned back to God. If you know any of the stories of David, there are some stories that are intimately tragic and heartbreaking. In 2 Samuel 11 and 12, there's a heartbreaking story of David running away from God, grabbing the things he wants Taking someone else's wife, having that guy killed, running away from God, running the opposite direction. And in Second Samuel twelve, God turns his soul back towards Yahweh. God turns his soul back. I don't know about you, but I often need to have my soul turned back towards God. Yahweh the shepherd restores and provides Yahweh the shepherd, gives me what I need for the day to day. He also provides restoration for my soul, the deepest part of my being. Yahweh is a providing shepherd. The shepherd also guides and protects. The end of 3 and 4, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He leads me in the path of righteousness, for His name's sake. It is always fun to jump into these passages, to study these passages for a week, a week and a half, because there's always some nugget of nuance that we don't get when we read read, read the English translation of of this old Hebrew poem. Um, this word "path" for the paths of righteousness is literally camp circles. Or, or worn ruts—the place where, after it's been pushed down for a long time, people can see where the camp was—and and you can picture this. Have you ever been to maybe a slightly new campground, and you walk to the certain site, and you can see, oh, that person put the put the camp, put the tent there, and they had their trailer there. You can see where the ruts were. This looks like a pretty good spot. We'll put the tent where they put the tent. It worked for them. It'll work for us. Or maybe you've been hiking and maybe in the Mount Hood National Forest or somewhere else, and you're hiking, and you will see um, off of the main path there'll be another path that is beat down. The, the foliage and the, um, the the grass and everything is beat down up this hill, and there's a new path that's being formed because people have been walking it because there's something worth seeing over there. And you could take that path because it's a proven path to something. Or the Oregon Trail, you have those wagons and they're going and as the rain would soften the mud, the, the wheels of the wagon would push ruts into the dirt. And then as the sun dried it, it would become, become permanent ruts. And if you put your wagon in the ruts, you knew you were headed to Oregon. That's what David's talking about here. You put me in the paths of righteousness. As a sheep that wants to wander around, that song, Come Thou Fount, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. He says, You put me in the ruts of righteousness. You put me in the ruts of proven direction towards righteousness. And he says, You do it for your namesake. These are the, the tried and true paths that help our direction um, toward righteousness. Yahweh the shepherd says, Let me show you the path of right and good living. This type of living that the type of living that aligns our souls with the way things ought to be and the type of living that makes his name look good. One, because he is the guide, he's the provider, he's the shepherd that puts you there. And also because that direction is the way that makes your life worship God. The greatest commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Many times I need reminders of how to do that. And encouragement is found in how to do that in the paths of righteousness. One of those paths is right here. Every week we come together and we worship together. We come to church. That's what we say, we come to church. This is not just a time for a lecture or an educational talk. This is where together we are coming and and putting ourselves in the ruts so that we can live lives of righteousness, so we can be reminded that God is good and we can delight in Him. We come together and we open up this book because the words of life are here. And there is delight in the words of life. We we sing songs together, so we tune our hearts to the same key. And we sing praises to God. That's why we do this. This isn't just a educational check the box, I'll learn the whole Bible eventually, it will be great. This is together aligning in the paths of righteousness. Another path. Life group is a path of righteousness. There's there could be two hundred people here at church on Sunday it is really hard to share life with 200 people. The discouragements, the difficult spots, the hard days. But if you are led in a path with 10 people, you can get to know each other more closely, you can help each other delight, you can know what's happening for that person on Wednesday and Thursday and call them up and say, don't forget, this is where the delight of the Lord is. This is where life is. This is the path of righteousness. We can encourage each other in smaller, smaller paths. David says, you lead me in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. David continues his talk of the shepherd guiding. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death or the valley of darkness, it's, it's, it's a hard thing to translate into English. You can imagine a scary situation for the sheep. Maybe they're walking into a canyon and there's a big overhang that's creating a shadow of darkness even though it's daytime. Or maybe they're going into a dangerous situation where there's a possibility of predators, wolves, someone the kind of animals that have ill intention for sheeps. Sheeps? I said that. Don't say that. Sheep and sheeps. Yeah, that's good. There could be a situation where evil could happen to a sheep. And David is saying, regardless of the situation, I will not be afraid because I know who my shepherd is. He is with me. Literally, that phrase is, He makes company with me. How personal is that? How relational is that? Yahweh, the Creator God, the God of the promises, the God of deliverance, He makes company with me, He's my companion. Oftentimes, we think of this, the valley of the shadow um, of death, we think of the difficult or scary situations of life, the scary canyons of life experiences or uncertainties or evil, the times when the journey of our lives takes us through spots that we do not want to walk through. No matter where we are led, if we understand who is making company with us, we can say, "I I will fear no evil, for you are with me. The journey of life is full of difficulty and valleys and shadows. And if we were completely alone, there would be reason to fear. This is, again, this is realist David. Evil is out there. He's not saying evil is gone because God is here. There's there's evil out there. But we have Yahweh the shepherd as company. There could still be evil, but an understanding of who your companion is takes away fear of evil. You know what breaks my heart is that, as people, when life gets difficult, when we start walking through shadows or the, or the path takes us um, under a rocky crag, or it looks like it's going to be scary, what we do as people is we isolate ourselves. We say, "Oh, pe- people are not going to understand. This is bad." They're not going to understand my situation. I'm just going to, I'm going to pull away and I'm going to do this by myself. It's scary. Or maybe the dark situation is, is a sin that you have that you cannot kick. And you say, "This. I'm the only person that's ever dealt with this and I'm going, to, I'm going to pull away because this is scary. This is the shadow of death. This is not a good situation and I'm going to isolate myself. It breaks my heart. I have friends... That go through terrible things. Ev- lots of evil surround them. Lots of shadows. Lots of scary situations. And when the shadows get dark, I, I see, I see this friend pull, start to pull away and start to go, go towards the corner. I'm gonna go sit there by myself. And we pull him back and say, no, you need to be with us. You need to be in the paths of righteousness. You need to remember who the shepherd is. And we pull him back. And every time we pull him back, he says, I needed this. I was going to isolate myself because it was scary, because there's shadows. I need to be reminded who the shepherd is. And when I'm here in these paths, I'm reminded who the shepherd is. And he is good. And he will protect me. There's still evil, but I don't need to fear it because of who Yahweh is. We need to be reminded who the shepherd is. If you're going through something or walking through something, Please do not isolate yourself. Ask for help. Your situation is not the only time that situation has occurred. That sin you're trying to, to grapple with, is, you're not the only one who's dealt with that bit of evil in the world. Please don't isolate. Through the valley of the shadow of death, I think David also... He's talking about this journey of life. And I think this is more than just the scary situations. It's as though David is saying, even if I walk through death, even when this journey of life puts me through the valley of death, when I die, even then I will fear no evil because Yahweh the shepherd is with me. It's as though he's pre-echoing the words of Paul in Romans when he says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. David is saying, even if I walk through death, even that situation, the ultimate end in this life, will not have me fearing. Because my companion is Yahweh. And he is the only companion that can walk me through that situation. He's the only companion that can go on that journey with me. And I will fear no evil. Because he will be with me. In verse 4 he says, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Why, Why does David have such confidence with this companion, with Yahweh the shepherd because the rod and the staff of the shepherd comfort him. A shepherd had two tools, a rod or club and a staff. The former, the rod, was used to beat away danger. If a wolf came up, he got beat with a rod. That's how you protect the sheep. The staff was a tool used to guide the sheep. If if a sheep was walking in one direction that's away from the shepherd, the staff is how you would, would guide them back. You'd direct them back to where the shepherd is. And David is saying, your, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You are a protector and you guide me to the right paths. Notice how personal this relationship is. This is, this is the shepherd protecting and guiding David. This is not God sitting in the clouds completely ambivalent to his people, This is a personal God, a down-in-the-dirt-and-in-the-danger-with-you type of God. Yahweh is a guiding and protecting shepherd. Verse 5, Yahweh is a blessing shepherd. In verse 5 it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows." David almost seems to jump out of this metaphor as God as a shepherd um, and jumps to almost God as a host. God is the close friend that throws a party for you. Uh, regardless of which metaphor he's using, he's still saying that God is personal and relationally close. David here describes a feast of blessing. Literally, you set a table before my eyes. The food's there, the good roasted vegetables and the meat, and you are preparing a feast there's gonna be lots of food to eat. This is gonna be great. And this is, this would be a victor's feast. A kind of, the battle is won. Now we will celebrate. He has oil on his head. That's how you anoint an honored guest. You, you put oil on his head. It says the cup, literally the wine goblet is overflowing with good wine. This is a great host that is setting up a great party for a guest, David. And all of this party all of this feast is in the presence of my enemies or in the midst of my affliction. And this is, this is a bit hard to understand. I think there's two possible settings going on here. There's the present, thinking about it in the now, and there's the future. The first is the present. There's David is, again, he's a realist. He knows there's going to be difficulty that comes again. There can be affliction right now. There's going to be affliction that happens again be it an attack from a person or just a hard situation, another shadow that we have to walk through. And David has been through many, many difficulties. He's had people of authority attacking him and trying to kill him. He's had family members make a coup for power and push him into exile. And David is not foolish. He knows that life is still affected by the ravages of sin and that he can anticipate something else is going to happen. But he also knows that God has continued to be gracious. When he was in the middle of being betrayed, he could still stand in the promise that God had given him. He still knew there was blessing now and there's future blessing. And because of that, he can talk with this language about being the guest of honor at a feast in front of his enemies. Even if they're afflicting him right now, he he can say, God is a blesser of me. God has been gracious to me. He's done it in the past. I look at affliction right now, and he will set a table. He is setting a table of blessing for me. God is a gracious blesser to us. If we are looking, we can see and know that God is good, even in the middle of something terrible. God is still gracious and has blessed us with restoration at the level of our souls, that turning our souls toward him that our affliction cannot touch. There's also also the perspective of the future. Because this is a victor's feast, it seems to be something beyond the death we see in in verse 4. Something future, something better, something restored and good. We sit right now in the tension of already but not yet. That aspect of the kingdom of God. There's already the benefits of what it means to be in Christ. We have redemption and forgiveness. We are seated positionally in Christ at the right hand of God. But the kingdom is not yet here. The kingdom is not yet fully established. Everything is not restored. There is a great wedding feast with great food and guests and wine. And there is a a chair with our name on it at that feast. That's true. But we're not at the feast yet. And it's this already but not yet tension that we sit with. And someday we are going to enjoy the physical presence of God, sitting with Him, enjoying the rest of the long days with Him. But the kingdom and final restoration has not yet occurred. We will wait for that feast. And that time, and that time, there's, there's that name, it, our name is on that seat, and we will wait for it. Even now as we sit in affliction, we sit in difficulty, we can look and say, God prepares a table for me. God prepares a feast for me. When we walk through affliction and difficulty, our enemies show their faces. They cannot change that reality. Nothing an enemy can do to you can change the status you have in Christ. It's still true. We will be hosted by Yahweh. Both those scenarios are true. The present and the future. The former is often harder to recognize and why we so badly need those paths of righteousness to help us remember. The latter is in the future. And it will only be revealed after we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, like David talks about. And we get to the other side of the valley with the only companion that can go with us, Yahweh the shepherd. Yahweh is a blessing shepherd. This final verse is fantastic. It says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Yahweh is a shepherd that loves. Goodness and mercy. Those Hebrew words, tovah hased, goodness and mercy. If I would have any words following me, I would have goodness and mercy following me. I want goodness, the good things, the right things, the way things are supposed to be. I want goodness. And mercy, this is literally kindness, loyal love, covenantal love. This is the kind of love that Abraham and Isaac talked about. Jacob talks about the promises you gave us, God. The promises you gave us, Yahweh. The promises that you linked up by an oath, by a covenant, that you will love us, that you will take care of us, that you will give us a people. And this love, this this mercy, this loyal love is not contingent on David doing the right things. This is not contingent on David staying in the path of righteousness. And if you stay in the path, David then I'm going to give you the good things. I'm going to love you. Then love will follow you. No. And if, can I tell you, David is not the guy that would pass that test. The greatest stories of his life, you know the fun stories, David and Goliath, him becoming king, a man after God's own heart. For every one of those great stories, there is a a dark counterpart of David doing something that you would have your kids not look at. Don't don't be like David. Don't be like David. David would not pass that test. There is no reason for David to suspect that he should, should have goodness and mercy follow him. This is the love that has been promised and hangs on the unchanging character of God. In Exodus 34, God tells Moses who he is and he says, I am a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love hesed, that word, steadfast love and faithfulness. This is who God is. This love is attached to his character. It cannot be changed. And David says, Yahweh's goodness and mercy will follow me. And this word follow literally means pursue me. Relentlessly pursue me. These are This is the hounds at your feet. You're running and they are pursuing you until they take you down. Usually we take this word and we attach it to something terrifying. And David is saying that relentless pursuit, that is what your goodness and your mercy do to me. They will surely pursue me all the days of my life. Yahweh's goodness and mercy shall pursue David until the very end of his life, until he goes to the final valley, his grace and steadfast love will be consistently and unwaveringly pursuing me. And David says, after that pursuit, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David says, my story does not end here with the walking through the desert, finding just enough water, just enough food, walking down the path, but having to remember righteousness and being guided to walk in the way that makes the Lord look good, having the possibilities of shadows and evil before me or affliction around me. He said, that's not the end of the story. That's not how this continues forever. He says, I will dwell in the house of Yahweh forever. I will not just be a sheep. I will be family. I will be invited into the house. I will be welcome at the table of Yahweh. I love that. God is relationally close to David as a shepherd, as a protector, as a a provider, as a guide. And at the end, he is inviting David into his house to be part of his family, to sit at his, his table, eat his food, drink his wine, be with him, be close to him forever. Yahweh pursues with love to the very end. And I love this personal picture of who God is. And I I anticipate that this picture of God, this closeness with God, is something that maybe doesn't align with the picture you have in your head about who God is. That's an inadequate picture. I want you to think about this picture of who God is. God as a shepherd. And this metaphor, this picture of the relationship of God with not just David, but his people, continues throughout the entirety of the scriptures. This is one of the favorite metaphors of God describing his relationship with us. Yahweh continues to use this relational metaphor because he's not just David's shepherd, he's your shepherd. I think the most powerful use of this is when the Lord Jesus says in John 10:11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We do not have a God who is ambivalent about our lives and the journeys we are walking. We have a God and shepherd who cares about us so much that he came to us to give his life for us. He laid down his life so he could rescue us from ultimate death and give us life. Jesus died as a good shepherd so he could guarantee that he could relentlessly pursue us with goodness and mercy until the end of our days. Jesus gives himself to ensure he can protect the sheep. Jesus came to be our shepherd, so that he can guarantee that we would dwell in the house of Yahweh forever. What do you think when you think about, what do you think about when you think about God? I hope you will think, God, that's that's too impersonal of a word. Yahweh, Jesus is my shepherd. He provides, he guides, he protects, He blesses, and He relentlessly pursues me with goodness and love. This morning, we're going to take communion together, remembering that the Good Shepherd gave His body and blood to protect us, to rescue us, to save us. If you identify Jesus as your rescuer, we would invite you to come during the next song to get the elements of um, the bread and the cup. And after the next song, we're going to take them together. Um, there'll be someone in the back that can pray for you from here out to the rest of the service and we'd love to be able to pray for you If be it small or large we would love to talk to God talk to the shepherd on your behalf for you let's, let's pray